It's Thursday, October 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hansen. Happy Thursday. Thank you, sir. It's a nice Thursday. We've we've had some some weather not so awesome, but uh, yeah. today today's lovely. It is beautiful out. It is lovely. It's supposed to be beautiful through the weekend. Uh, we've got a hot IPO. We will dip into the full mailbag. Let's start today in Hong Kong. Uh, this is something that's a story that's been evolving all week. We haven't yet talked about it on Market Foolery, but um, I'm curious when you see the pro-democracy demonstrators by the thousands protesting in front of the main government buildings in Hong Kong. First and foremost, what goes through your mind as an investor? Well, I mean, there there are real investing consequences to to sort of the disruptions in Hong Kong. One is that the Hong Kong market, which actually had a, I think, had a formal holiday yesterday, has extended that holiday through next week. So, they're not clearing trades or anything, and stocks aren't trading. So, that's for a financial center in Asia, right? kind of a big deal. Um, you know, and the, and the other thing is, you know, people have, in in the U.S. have long sort of um, feared or just, you know, thought not even doubted China's rise as a as a world power. And um, you know, part of China's rise, I think, when they were handed Hong Kong over to them, was that ultimately Hong Kong would probably would integrate quite deeply with China, and they would use that positive experience to ultimately convince Taiwan to maybe. Um, come home in some way, but it's not it's not quite happening um, in the way maybe that that mainland China the PRC foresaw. I, I think they thought at some point that their their massive wealth generation would just attract everybody to come. You know, would, would want to be part of that, but the economy has certainly uh, sputtered a little bit, and they haven't solved for some of the real structural issues in China that are preventing them from ascending higher in sort of the global. Hierarchy of economic superpowers, you know, which are corruption and um, you know rule of law, you know, ease of doing business. I mean, those are those are real things that still separate Hong Kong and China um, from one another. And and the fact that Hong Kong is is standing up for some of those principles, I think, at the end of the day, is a very good thing for them. At what point? And hopefully, it, it causes mainland China to rethink some of their stances. Right. Obviously, the. State-run press in China is not rethinking their stances at present, based on the editorials that I've read. But <laughs> based you know, on the coverage, we'll see. Uh, um, at, at what point does the market being closed? Is this through next week? You know, we've gotten squirrely answers from our our various partners in that in that market. But yeah, I think it's going to be closed through next week. Uh, that sounds like the sort of thing that at some point that uh, that affects other markets. Oh sure, I mean you know in in possibly cascading ways. Yeah, well, it's going to have effects. I think for a lot of you know, Hong Kong is a a very important luxury spending center. You know, I think there are a lot of brands with stores in Hong Kong. You know, that are closed or being disrupted, tourism being disrupted, who are probably going to show some effects in the next quarter. Obviously, that's a short term blip. But um, you know the other, you know the other thing it does is it it you know I think it probably just shakes investor confidence a little bit. You know, Hong Kong has long been a very stable place. Um, and and one of the you know I think people argue about whether or not it's developed or an emerging market, and that depends on whether or not you tie it to China, how closely you consider it part of China. Um, but yeah, I mean it shakes investor confidence at a time when investor confidence in emerging markets, which had for most of this year been quite positive. Uh, I think I was on here not long ago talking about what a good year it had been in emerging markets. That's completely reversed over the last two weeks. It's become a very pedestrian year right. in emerging markets, and um, there are a lot of factors. Contributing to that, but I do think you know we've 
the, the Hong Kong market has certainly weakened, had been weakening um, before uh, or as these protests had gotten underway. Just switching geography here, uh, how bad are things in Latin America? I, and, and I'm thinking primarily... What regard? Well, just <laughs> in, in ter- I, I'm thinking about uh, recently Clorox basically just picking up their stakes and saying, we're out of here. We're, we're- that was just Venezuela. That was just Venezuela. And, and, you know, I think the burn there is on Clorox for investing so heavily in a market. They saw an opportunity where there wasn't a lot of competition. Sometimes that's great. Other times you have to say, huh, wonder why there isn't that much competition. <laughs> is there something we're missing here? I, I, guess, I guess my question is, is the growing drumbeat that I'm hearing and seeing online that Latin America um, as a place of business as a source of investment, as a place for investment, um, is starting to become troubled in the way that Europe has been troubled in the past. You know, it, I think and, it, it depends on, on the individual markets, I, I, I would say. I, you know, we, I think Mexico is doing some very good things. Um, the Peña Nieto administration has improved the business climate there, and that, that's, a, that's a, a good market with you know, interesting companies in it. I continued to think that of, of Peru, where they have a very independent central bank. Um, some good companies call Peru home. It's a reasonably sized market. You know, Chile, people forget about Chile, but they, they keep plugging along, obviously, exposure to commodities. And Latin America will always be tied to the commodity cycle. But, you know, the governance issues that are in some places don't exist there. Bolivia, very small market, but, you know, the banking environment there, while still probably too heavily regulated by the government is, I mean, that economy is doing reasonably well. Um, you know, the, the albatross, I mean, obviously Venezuela has its own issues, and that's, that's, been, that's been a nightmare for, for, for many years. Um, and we'll see how that solves itself. You know, Honduras and El Salvador are, are troubled. You know, but the albatross, that, that is the most high pro tra- profile right now is Brazil. Um, and that market has been moving up and down with sort of the polling for the, the upcoming election with investors seeming to think that they'd prefer um, that the the incumbent Dilma Rousseff get upended by um, this basically upstart candidate that's come out of nowhere and actually wasn't even a presidential candidate until she'd been running as the vice president for someone who had tragically died in an air, airplane crash while campaigning. And so she just got thrust into the spot, spotlight. Um, she has some national experience in office, but a bit of a, a bit of an unknown. Um, and, and one profile I'd read, she's uh, uh, her past is as an environmental activist uh, protecting the Amazon and a little bit light on economic policy. And I've been reading, I think it was an article in Bloomberg or somewhere, and they were talking to a banker in Brazil and said, doesn't it concern you that at this moment of weakness in the Brazilian economy that you might elect someone who has no experience managing an economy? And the guy said, look, frankly, it it cannot get worse. You cannot screw up (laughs) more than they have. Um, I would rather have someone who knows nothing than someone who thinks they know something at, at this point, <laughs> which is a, which is a funny thought. At this point, it looks like Rousseff is polling higher than um, Silver, and um, we'll see how that how that turns out. But you know, I'm actually headed to Brazil in November because the market's gotten so beat up that I think it's it's about time to actually start looking for some some things down there that look interesting. You're going post election. Uh, yeah, and then. Um, you know, and, and, and in the interim, I've been looking at, you know, the Brazilian market is hard to act. The local market is hard to access for U.S. investors. But there's a ETF, um, an iShares Brazil small cap ETF, which looks very interesting in terms of its composition. Because, you know, the big problem with large Brazilian companies is, is that they're either state run, which is synonymous with 
poorly run, um, or they're sort of olig- oligarchic banks, which you know aren't that interesting either. Mm-hmm. But the smaller and the, the smaller cap segment in Brazil is pretty healthy in terms of manufacturing and retailing. Um, some small banks and the uh, uh, the uh, small cap Brazil ETF kind of captures that whole basket. And it, it's hard to pick winners and losers because you don't know. You know, I think both good and bad companies are getting lumped together because the, the macro environment has been so tough. It's hard to sh- stand out in either direction as somebody who's underperforming or outperforming. Um, but you know, I think a broad bet like that at this time is both contrarian and, and makes a little bit of sense. Wayfair.com describes itself as having one of the largest online selections of furniture, home furnishings, and decor. Last night, the company upped the price of its IPO to $29 a share. And because uh, we've seen this movie many times over the last couple of years, uh, it's going public today, shares up more than 20%. Boom. Boom. Yeah, this one's on my radar. I've, I've, people have, I've talked about William Sonoma uh, in this form in the past and how strong they are online. Uh, Wayfair, uh, a competitor to them. They've got some brands like um, Dwell Studio, uh, Birch Lane that are you know, similar aesthetics, I guess. Um, they have over a billion dollars in sales. It's all direct. It's all online, and so they're they're on my my radar in that regard. They've actually stolen, I think. Yeah, stolen is the wrong word. They've um, <laughs> borrowed. They've yeah. They, they've they've learned from, and I'm sure William Sonoma has learned from them. Uh, but they have very similar merchandising strategies online, which are very effective. Um, you know, we have a policy generally of not investing in IPOs, but I think this is an interesting space to watch. It's an interesting company in a very in a what's a very attractive market given the. The category, given who's buying and how much money they have, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the how the the competition with William Sonoma plays out. You know, but the obvious losers are uh, Pier One, Ethan Allen, who have already just been eaten alive yeah. due to their inability to get online. And I think that's uh, with Wayfair raising capital. I think it gets gets worse for those guys going forward as well. I would be remiss if I did not point out they are not yet profitable. Wayfair. Wayfair. No. So if I want an unprofitable, they are they are quite promotional, which I think is what indi- you know, and that's weighed on William Sonoma's profits. Um, but if I want an unprofitable online retailer, can I just buy shares of Amazon? Wow! <laughs> yes, you could. It's, that's funny. Um, no, yeah, they they are not yet profitable. They probably hope they'll they'll get there on scale. Uh, it's an interesting philosophical debate about whether you think a furniture a retailer like that can live. An online-only world, or if it, it pays to have multiple channels online on and and offline, um, we'll see. You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Uh, you can email from Riley uh, Toberon. I'm probably mispronouncing your last name, Riley, so I apologize. Riley T. Riley T. At Endicott, <laughs> Endicott College in Beverly, Massachusetts. Uh, he writes, I'm a junior uh, studying finance and was wondering if uh, any of the fools had any suggestions for books to read both for knowledge and fun. I love to learn about the markets and investing in general, and I'm hoping for some new potential reads. I've read most of the basic beginning investor books, such as One Up on Wall Street, etc., and I'm looking for something different. Any thoughts? So I think most people are familiar with Michael Lewis, so I won't use the obvious yep. the obvious ones. But if you haven't read Michael Lewis, you know, Big Short, Moneyball, those are all worthy, um, worthy reads. I'll throw out three maybe lesser known, quote unquote, investing books. Um, one is called Deep Survival by a guy named Lawrence Gonzalez. I often recommend this one. It's a fabulous book about life or death situations and who made good decisions and who made bad decisions and why. Obviously, investing is not a life or death enterprise, but some of the um, some of the same framework, decision-making frameworks are at play. That's a good one. 
Um, also, Made in America, the Sam Walton biography. It's just a great, great, entertaining read about business. And the last one um, is a book I, I actually just read on the recommendation of Bill Gates, which was an editorial he wrote in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, know, I didn't personally get a recommendation. You weren't hanging out with Bill. But uh, So this is a, a book that was recommended to Bill Gates by Warren Buffett, and then Bill Gates recommended it in, a, in an article in, in, I think, the journal a couple weeks ago. It's called Business Adventures, and it's a very old book kind of with kind of an unfortunate title, Business Adventures. Uh, it's by a journalist um, named John Brooks, who Bill Gates compared. He was sort of the Michael Lewis of his day. And it's a compilation of some long-form articles about, you know, weird and quirky things that happened in um, the world of business and investing during that time. One is about the English central bank trying to defend the pound and, and, and how the nefarious short sellers and whatnot were f- trying to fight them. Uh, there's another one about um, Piggly Wiggly and the CEO of Piggly Wiggly who tried to force a massive short squeeze in his stock. There's some really fascinating stories in there. That's B- great. Business adventures. It's 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 on Kindle. It's a worthy read. I have not read uh, I have not read Made in America, but I have seen a documentary on Sam Walton, and uh, entertaining is just one of the words I would use to describe uh, his life and his work. Um, yeah, a lot of. Uh, it's funny people think of Walmart today as this monolithic, uncaring corporate entity, and and in some ways that's true, and in some ways it's unfair. Um, but its origins are as dynamic, oh, yeah. as exciting, and as impressive um, as any company in, in, in America. And I, I'm not sure if Sam Walton would be happy about what Walmart is today or not. But um, Walmart from 1965 until 1990 or so, I mean, that what a what a, just an incredible ride. Well, and and like a lot of business leaders that we look to from time to time and look at their careers, um, whether they are from the technology space or retail or whatever, uh, just relentless. Mm-hmm. That, that was one of the things that stuck with me. That guy was just so driven and mm-hmm. so relentless. Uh, email from Jonathan Cunningham in Tampa, Florida. I've been listening to your podcast for a year or so now, and I always hear you talking about, quote, fool members. I know The Motley Fool sells memberships to newsletters, but it is also, but it also has something similar to a brokerage or mutual fund where it sells shares in the several fool funds. I assume these full funds are not available outside of The Motley Fool. Um, I work for a large financial services firm that restricts my trading activities. Can you please explain the membership? Thanks. Uh, well, fortunately, your firm doesn't restrict what you listen to. <laughs> um, uh, so, I, I will speak to the memberships. Uh, yes, The Motley Fool, we have uh, a dozen or so investing services, uh, and they are largely uh, built around different investing styles. So, Motley Fool Inside Value is focused on value investing, and uh, you pay a membership fee, and you get stock recommendations and research and access to a a member-only website. Uh, Motley Fool Stock Advisor is our flagship um, newsletter. Uh, Hidden Gems focuses on uh, small cap stocks, uh, rule breakers focuses on uh, growth stocks, uh, and on and on. Um, Motley Fool funds. Uh, we got to be a little careful here because there's there's oh, <laughs> we we can't be promotional. So let's just be factual. There are there are three Motley Fool. There are there funds. are three funds. Um, they are available to any investor, uh, Fool member or not. Um, you can find more information about them at foolfunds.com, where there's a complete prospectus about what we're doing and what each fund does, what their tickers are, and, and what the fees are, and everything. 
and the you know the delineation between the two um, parts or sides were two were two different companies, but the, the the separation of them is that the services are for people who want to kind of do it themselves, and the the funds are for people who kind of want us to do it for them. Um, two other th- things I'll say about uh, Motley Fool funds: uh, you can also go to Morningstar.com. Um, which is a, a great website for just doing research on funds, and you can find information about the yeah, funds. Look at, yeah. um, uh, and last, I'll also mention that they are actually uh, available outside of the Motley Fool. There are uh, different uh, brokerages and, and platforms, and uh, they're like any other fund. Yeah, like any other fund yeah. in that regard. Um, this gives me a, a somewhat seamless way to mention once again. We do have a special offer on Motley Fool Stock Advisor. If you're looking, to, if you're looking to get started, <laughs> uh, just go to marketfoolery.fool.com. That's marketfoolery.fool.com. Check it out. Um, it's uh, it is our flagship service. It's our most popular service. It's not for everyone, so you know, kick the tires. See if uh, if it's something for you. Uh, before we get to more email, because yesterday Bill Barker and I. Discussed our fantasy football team. Was Barker on yesterday? He was on yesterday. Tough uh, act to follow. T- <laughs> um, and and our listeners did not disappoint in providing some additional names, new names for our fantasy football team. Because frankly, we need a new name. Uh, but before we do that, um, we got an email from a college student. You just spent some time with some younger students uh, that involved money. And I was hoping you could, you could share that with our listeners. Yeah. I was volunteering at my son's preschool on Monday and uh, the last activity was just general play time. And, it, uh, uh, and your son is four, four, just turned yeah. four. And during play time, using the various equipment in the room, one group of kids opened a small restaurant. Another group of kids had a, at what they were calling a hardware store where they were selling the building blocks. So you could build things. And, um, it occurred to me that there was all this green paper that I could I could start making money for them to to facilitate transactions. So the kids would come up and say, "Could I have, can I have a dollar?" I said, "Sure, absolutely." So I draw a little dollar and you know cut the paper and give it to them. <laughs> and you know all the kids were coming up to get money so they could go buy things at the at the at the restaurant and the hardware store. And one little boy got finally figured out. He came up and said, "Hey, um, could I actually could I have ten dollars?" And I said, "Yeah, Smart. absolutely. You can have ten dollars. Give him ten dollars." He went and got ten hamburgers. Oh, it's a good thing you don't run a bank. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure you can have money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this kept this kept going on. And eventually, got you know, can I have can I have a, can I have a thousand dollars? Can I have ten thousand dollars? And you know, it got to the point where finally one boy came up and said, "I'd like a million dollars." So he goes over to the restaurant. Says I have a million dollars. I like and, a million. And, and you, you write, you hand just, a, yeah, a right, single bill, but with it's just with worth- a million. Yeah, just printing money with larger, larger denominations. So he takes his million dollar bill, goes over to the restaurant, and goes, "The hamburgers had heretofore costed a dollar a piece." He says, "I'd like a million hamburgers." And the boy running the restaurant says, um, "Actually, hamburgers now cost a million dollars." <laughs> and I said, "I just taught them inflation." <laughs> Perfect. I was proud of that. That is perfect. I think I think we got some future Fed board governors. Future, yeah, future central bankers in that room. <laughs> As for our fantasy football team, from Dave Bernstein in New Jersey, two words: the value traps. <laughs> Thomas, uh, bo- two different uh, listeners, Thomas Brown and Joe Dominic, suggested irrational exuberance for our team. Uh, Graydon Tripp in Roslindale, Massachusetts, frothy markets. I kind of like that. That's. Did you see the story about the Giants tight end Larry Donald, who who last Thursday had three touchdowns 
and during the middle of the third quarter realized that he had sat himself on his own fantasy team <laughs> in favor of Vernon Davis, and he ended up losing because he had sat himself. I thought that was funny. That is perfect. <laughs> uh, from someone on Twitter whose Twitter handle is at uh, Aces Full Tickets, under promise, over deliver. I think that should be reversed, actually, given the performance of our team right now. I would now. say most fantasy teams are the opposite. Yeah. Uh, and from Michelle, I just heard your description of your fantasy football woes about the promising start and not being able to go the distance, and it sounded a lot like your team needs a dose of Viagra. Maybe a name like that will perk you guys up a bit. <laughs> Love the show, as always. Thank you, Michelle. In need of Viagra. That's not bad. That's 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 not bad at all. Uh, this weekend, you probably owe a royalty to Pfizer on that. Oh yeah, no, no, we're not, we're not, we're not paying Pfizer or anything. Um, they they just got a promotional mention. What, what do they need? Um, this weekend, as I mentioned uh, on last week's uh, Market Folio, this weekend is the 11th annual Fred Toberfest. Fred to- out in Missouri. Out in St. Charles, Missouri. Recall, so yep. thank you again to Fred Gaddis and his We're going to make it out there one year. I think- This is on my bucket list now. Yeah. Fred's I'd- hospitality has been expended, extended several years in a row now. Yeah. It's, it's very nice to keep extending it. So, so we'll figure out if we can get out there. But you and I, this weekend- Are busy. We're busy this weekend, uh, as is Charlie Travers, uh, because on Sunday we've got the Wilson Bridge Half Marathon. Yeah. Um, which I'm excited about, in part because the weather's supposed to be nice. Yep. This is also a, just a beautiful race. This is a race that begins at Mount Vernon, George Washington's home in Mount Vernon, goes down the GW Parkway. Very scenic. Along the Potomac yep. River, and then uh, a little stretch in Old Town, Alexandria, and then over the Wilson Bridge into National Harbor. How are you feeling? I'm ready to gamble, Chris. Are you, is <laughs> the casino opening up <laughs> no, the National the, Harbor? No, it's like 2016. <laughs> Uh, are you feeling good for the race? Uh, I'm feeling. I'm feeling. You know, it's all going to come down to whether or not I get a good night's sleep the night before. It, so it, my it, kids are are big. Going to be a big factor in my performance <laughs> on Sunday. That's an X factor. Total X factor. Do you do anything after a race like this to reward yourself to say I've done this and now I'm going? You know, I'm I gonna... usually have a mint julep. Really? Yeah. Um, what about you? Uh, I, having spent. A couple thousand calories. I like to get those calories back. So I, us- I usually go to O'Connell's uh-huh. uh, down in Old Town and just sit at the bar and have an enormous meal. That, that's <laughs> typically what I do. Um, but I'm reminded um, that we have uh, Rex Moore is running this, uh-huh. who does video there are for many us. people. Mark Kennedy, who's in our tech department. Um, and it was Mark. Our CEO, Tom Gardner, I think would be proud if presented the list of the number of people uh, yeah, doing we, a distance We got race a bunch of fools weekend. in this race. Um, but uh, I'm reminded of uh, Mark Kennedy's line. Bill Mann's wife. Is Judy? Judy's running? Bill, Bill no. What about Bill? Bill, I think, forewent <laughs> the opportunity, but. Wow. Judy will be in the race. Um, is that because Judy would just dust him in a race? That's a good question. I'm not sure. We don't know the answer. I'm not going to. Yeah, we'll yeah. just leave that out there. Uh, yeah, it was after last year's race that Mark Kennedy uh, and I sort of met up. We'd, we'd finished it roughly the same time, and, uh, and, and Mark had the line as we went and we were grabbing plain bagels, mm-hmm. and Mark's line was, a plain bagel never tastes so good as it does after a race, <laughs> which is true. Because plain, there's not a lot going on there, but after a race, best thing you can Those have. carbs taste good. They do. Thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. 